exciting, Jim. But not as we know it. This is big. Thursday the 5th of May 2022 and you are listening to the Bashcast. Coming up in this evening's Bashcast, Tom goes on holiday, gets annoyed by British tourists and then get scammed. Pete Ling from the Smart Betting Club joins us to discuss the greatest lyrics of all time and the recent SBC betting awards. Golf betting, how brutal has the recent run of results been mathematically and why you can't trust anybody. Talking about maths, it's then maths hour. We take double delight hat-trick heaven. We break down how to calculate the EV by mathematical first principles. And we finish with why you're a prick, part four. Morning, morning, afternoon. What's Fred up to, apropos of nothing before we get started? What is Fred up to? He's ten places, uh, one to five in the British Masters. All the value, bet Fred. So, runners in the shop. I'm like, who shall we double up with in the Wells Fargo? Have a look at the Wells Fargo. He's not plus EV on a single player. Um, Most bookies, eight places, one to five. Fred is seven. Um, but he's not only seven, he's bottom price. I mean, the, the lowest price on the favourite is Betfred at seven to one. You can get nine to one at William Hill and an extra place. But what he's doing is he's clawing back some of the value that he's offering on the British Masters, but I haven't seen that before. It's a bit annoying because I can't now get on any doubles at Betfred because nothing is good in the PGA event. And that hampers some of my fun for the weekend, doesn't it? Um, incidentally, what does Matthew Fitzpatrick have on the on the odds compilers? I don't understand how he's third favourite in this event. 157 golfers. He didn't even make the cut last event, and I, I just he never. I don't understand. I don't, I, it doesn't. I watch the golf. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I'm going to come back to the golf in a minute. Merhaba, uh, Nasi Seal. That's right. I have been away in Turkey, in case you were wondering where the Bashcast was last week. I've got this. Are you ready? I'm going to show off now. Bish, iki, uch, dot, besh. And then I get a little bit mixed up. It's a combination of, this might not be in the right order, but at least it's the right numbers. Alter, sekir, yidi, dokus, on. That very well could have been seven, six, eight, nine, ten. I, I, I'm a little bit confused with them. But that's my effort because there's nothing worse in the entire world than going abroad and seeing grown ass English men and women walking up to people of foreign nationalities and then just saying, Hello, can you help me? Can you do this? Can I have a beer? In English, 
I know Turkish isn't exactly a language that everyone has spoken, uh, everyone speaks in schools or has learned or anything like that. But look, I sat down with my daughter in the airport, who was five, and through the space of just having a drink in the airport, £29 for two glasses of wine and some nuts in Birmingham Airport at all bar one. £29. I know the cost of living is going up. £29. £29. That was the most expensive part of the holiday, other than the worst part of the holiday, which, of course, I'm going to be coming to in a little bit. But I, they, they can't justify that. And it was service without a smile as well. The guy seemed to be slightly annoyed that I was um, asking him to put a glass of Merlot and a rosé and a plate of nuts in front of me and then charge me 29 quid. And I had to take the glass, the drinks to the table by myself as a whole. But anyway, my daughter learns, we do one to ten in... Turkish, and she's learnt it by the time we're out there. So why can't... It's just rude. Anyone that goes up there... And then, now, I put £12 on in Turkey because I found, and I researched this, and I kind of knew it was coming before I came. It was a reason for going. But I found a place which was like... It was just... Everybody on TripAdvisor was saying how nice the buffet was. Now, I've very rarely been to a buffet, which is nice. Normally, by trying to do too much food, the buffet ends up... Nothing is nice. And then you end up going up to a restaurant that specialises in one single thing. So um, this place, the buffet was just beautiful. And I ended up having three courses for every meal. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, three courses, four courses. And I put on £12. Uh, Not only the courses, you then go to the pool and you sit by the pool. And then a guy in roller skates comes over and he goes, do you want a beer? And you're like, it's 11am, which is 9am in England. I'll have a, and you try, you try so hard to say coffee. You try so hard to say coffee and the word beer comes out. And then he goes and gets you a beer. And then you're three quarters of the way through it. And he skates over and asks if you want to top up on another beer. And it's an impossible position. It's literally an impossible position. The only thing that could have been done was to drink way too much, making me therefore more hungry. And then back on the three courses at lunch. £12 in a week. Six days that was. Um... And there's nothing more disheartening than the English folk going over and just speaking English to foreigners. I hate it. I, I'm embarrassed to be from the United Kingdom when I see it. I, say, I don't speak Turkish, but at least I can go up and say Merhaba Nasisil. Iki beer luften. You know, I don't, I don't know if beer is beer, but that could be two, one, please. Um... Even worse, though, than the language barrier, the buffet for breakfast. Right, the olives in the Mediterranean. Why can't Morrison's in in Worcestershire have black olives? Which I think, someone told me they paint them black. Why can't we have olives like they have over there? They're salty, and they're just juicy, and they're so tasty, and I love olives. But I won't buy olives from Morrison's because they taste like chewy cardboard. They really do. And they're just beautiful, and they have these olives. And then in breakfast, you've got the... um, You've got all these fresh fruits. Look, when I go down to my... I don't have breakfast, generally. It's, it's the meal of the day. It's to control calorie consumption. I always skip breakfast. I generally eat mid-afternoon the first time of the day. And I'm on holiday. I'm going to treat myself. I never have an array of fruits, dates, um, dried fruits, roasted corn, yogurts, honey with the beeswax, and everything like that. I mean, it's so... It's, it takes so much preparation. You don't have that in your kitchen. You've got cornflakes and toast, and if you're treating yourself, scrambled eggs. Um, and they've got all of these different things. And, of course, they've got the, the, the olives that you can have as well. 
16 different types of fruity yogurt to sort of drip onto your dates and your strawberries and your bananas. And um, if you're feeling flush, they do these poached eggs, which you can have um, you can have hollandaise sauce on top of it. And then I'd sprinkle a few chilies um, and some hummus on the side of that. And just the most gorgeous breakfast of all time. Where are the English folk? To answer me, where are the English folk? The English folk are by the side where it is baked beans, um, beef sausages, beef bacon, because it's all halal, so they can't do the... the... And of course, uh, not only are they there, but they're complaining about it because they want bacon like they have bacon back home. And, and just, just over there is all of the beautiful figs and dates and raisins and currants and strawberries and bananas and just flavors and tastes that will ignite you and excite you and things that you don't have normally and you need your bacon and your beans you're a grown man you're you've got a bald head you're wearing a white sleeveless t-shirt despite the fact that there has been no muscle definition on those arms for the last 45 years since you were 18 and you had the benefit of youth and a 13 percent body fat percentage only because you were 17 years old, and now that you're 65, your true colours are coming through. Try the try the figs. Try the dates. Go and try the dates. Do it. So, other than the British people completely annoying me about everything, it was very empty because, unfortunately, Ukraine and uh, Russian tourists generally are the, mo- the more popular tourists in that area in uh, around Khmer. Because all the menus there, it's like the first language is Russian, and then it's German, and then it's English. Um, so it was a little bit empty, but it was nice enough. Um, the only thing that I found frustrating, I'm always very wary on scams and being scammed on holiday. I do my research because there's one thing I just dislike more than anything else in the entire world. It's like being scammed. And it's happened before, and it sits very badly very poorly with me so i know all the scams i know the taxi scams from the airport i know the scam where you hand over a 100 euro or lira or dollar note and then they say no you gave me a 10 after they palmed it and so you can get around all of these by sort of clearly holding the note up and going here's a 100 you see it's a 100 we're both in agreement this is a 100 and just being a little bit you know having a wherewithal and a, a a familiarity of your surroundings and an expectation that something's going to go wrong is generally enough to protect yourself against the scams. We get to the last night, and um, I bought myself the world's greatest coat, the last coat that I will ever, ever wear in my life. Um, And I'm happy as Larry, but because I've done something for myself, the rule of being a dad is you do things for your kids all the time you do one thing for yourself and that means you now have to do something for your kids because you did something for yourself that's the rule of being a dad um and so i bought the coat and because i've bought myself something i now have to get the kids something and i was thinking an ice cream but they've you know they've already had two ice creams that day and as we walked down the main sort of shopping street with all the bazaars in khmer um they have these they have these toy shops, which are just full of all the kids' toys. And now, generally, things are quite reasonable. The coat was a reasonable price. The beers are a reasonable price. The food's a reasonable price. Everything's a reasonable price. I got a ring that was a reasonable price. I bought these bracelets. I didn't even have to. I didn't have to haggle because they were 
you know, they were under the price that I thought that would be a reasonable price. So why am I going to haggle? I'm not tight. Look, I thought the bracelet would be tenner. If you're saying it's five pounds, I'm not going to haggle you down to three. I would have paid a tenner for them kind of thing. You know what I mean? I, I put a price on this already, so I'm good. And you go into the toy shop and the first thing that happens, and it, it had happened before. And so culturally, you just realize there's a difference. He picks up my son, gives my son a big kiss picks my daughter up, says, hello, welcome to the toy shop. Come and have a look. What do you want? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? What do you like? Do you want the doll? Do you want? Do you like Mario? Do you like um, Marvel? Do you like Iron Man? Finds um, a Sonic the Hedgehog from a boy. I didn't even know my boy liked Sonic the Hedgehog. He's never had a Sega drive. He's three. He's into Mario because we've got the Nintendo Switch. He's into Marvel, but all of a sudden he's into Sonic the Hedgehog now. Um, and my daughter gets an LOL doll, which I've never understood the appeal of. They sell them in this country. They seem to be extremely expensive, but I think they've got YouTube kids marketing just nailed, right? So I look at the back of the Sonic the Hedgehog and it says 55 on the sticker. 55 lira is about £3.50. Seems reasonable. And the LOL doll is about 50 55 as well. So, okay, £3.50 each, £7. That's probably enough not to haggle because my kids really want them anyway. You know what I mean? So, again, I'm happy I'm not haggling. I go to the counter and he says they're not... 55 lira they're 55 us dollars and not only are they 55 us dollars it's not a sonic the hedgehog it's a somic with an m the hedgehog and i'm like all right i'm in trouble now uh, and i'm saying these are not worth 55 us dollars and he goes yes my friend my friend they are very um they are they cost a lot of money they're very expensive to make but for you you're a good man you're a good father and i am going to make you um a good price because your children and then he goes to hug the children with the toys they really love these toys don't they and I, i'm like oh my 55 yeah so 110 us dollars now he's going to make me a good price the good price he made me was 80 us dollars which is like 65 quid or 60 English pounds. These things are junk. I mean, if they were real toys, I'd, I'd not want to spend more than 10 to 15 pounds on each of them. But they're not even real toys. It's a Somic the Hedgehog toy. But he's done a trick where he has got my kids so excited about the toys and then put a label on the back that doesn't have a currency designation on it that I can't possibly say no. And he's now dropped the price. Dropped the price by... 20%. However, drop the price by 20% on something that had an uplift of, I reckon, 2,500% in the first place. The EV that I'm currently in is running somewhere at about nine, minus 92% EV. That's where I am right now. It probably a little bit more. Or, or you know, I, if the benchmark, if neutral is 100% EV, I'm running somewhere in the region of 3.5% to 4% just now. And it really annoys me because I'm, I want to walk away. If I'm, if I'm on a poker table, I can walk away. If I'm in a sports bet, I can choose not to have the sports bet. But the guy has used my children as collateral damage. You know, he has civilian hostages and that has to be factored in to the decision-making. And uh, I, I just simply cannot tell the kids that they're not going to have them. And I try and barter the guy down a little bit more, but he says, I'm my friend, I cannot do it. I'm sorry, my friend, these are very expensive toys. I'm looking at my wife, who finds it hilarious, incidentally. She's just laughing her head off. That, well, you know what? This is 
your own children's inheritance that's been spending right now. And I just chop up, I chop up $80 for Somic the Hedgehog and an LQL doll. That shop makes me sad. It makes me sad because its only purpose for existing is to completely and utterly rip off the clueless tourist like me. Uh, there's no purpose for it existing other than that. These are knockoff, rip-off um, toys, really cheap, really light. We got to the hotel, we took the packaging apart, we couldn't even get the head onto the body of the LQL doll. Somic the Hedgehog weighs about two and a half milligrams and gets knocked over by a gust of wind and his scratches all over him like that. They're really poor quality. The kids do seem happy, other than my daughter wasn't too happy that we were having to take a surgical knife to the LQL doll just to make it fit together. But how does that guy sleep at night? How does he sleep at night? His purpose for existing in this world is to open up a shop where he scams people. Literally just scams them. And of course, he's that that's his week sorted when I paid him, you know, 80 US dollars for a couple of toys that at most would have cost $1 out of some knockoff shop at the back end of um, some third world Asian country. But other than that, it was a very nice holiday to Turkey. I recommend it. Pete, what are the greatest lyrics of all time? <laughs> <laughs> what are the greatest lyrics of all time? Um, well, not the sec- uh, it's not definitely the not. Grace. It's definitely not Limp Biscuit because Limp- I think he would have to be. See, Red Fred Durst would have to be up there with one of the worst lyricists known to man. Um, rolling, 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 rolling. That guy, exactly. That guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not partial particularly to Limp Biscuit, but back when I was you know, going through my rock and metal phase in the 20-somethings, I did go and see them um, and listen to them. And their lyrics are abysmal, honestly. The guy <laughs> can't write for Toffee. So who is good? I don't know. I would say, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head now. Uh, I, I quite like the band Tool. Uh, they weave some really interesting, um, not just lyrics, they weave it into like time signatures and stuff. They've got some really interesting songs and I've uh, heard of Tool, but I'm not familiar with the music. So there you go. That'll be the next one that I put on um, that I put on my Spotify playlist. It's a good gym, good gym workout. I know you're a Peloton guy, and um, I was doing a workout the other day, and they came on, and I was like, uh, "Yeah, amp me up." So there's a German guy on there today. He's just done an Afro Beats one, and I was just hitting that before now, and I recommend doing that one. Okay. Um, uh, I was on the plane on the way back from Turkey and I happened to have been shuffling around and I caught Praying for Time by George Michael. If you haven't listened to the lyrics in that, it's like having an affinity. Um, uh, Everything becomes clearer. I've absolutely no idea what he's talking about, but that's not the most important thing. It sounds good. It's controversial and it gets the juices going. So Praying for Time, George Michael. Give it a go. Yeah, George Michael, he came up with some real bangers back in the day, you know. Um, got a lot of time for George Michael, although I don't know his deep cuts. <laughs> just the hits. Just the hits. I used to play in a band that we used to do uh, last Christmas. I remember we, back again, we're going back back a while now. We used to play in a band and then we, we did some Christmas gigs. And we just, for some reason, just jammed the last Christmas and we just kept going and going and going and everybody, maybe they're a bit too drunk, but anyway, that's such a good tune. You did of all the songs in the entire world. You did "Last Christmas" by George Michael. Were you a rock band? Well, uh, yeah, a rock band, and then we just you know cranked that out at the end of our set because it was a Christmas gigs, and we were cranking that out. And obviously, got the biggest 
<laughs> the biggest cheer and but it gets people going, you know, last Christmas is yeah, a great, No, it does. Song. It's like a face yeah. on a lover with fire in his heart, that part of the song. Um congr- congratulations. <laughs> it's the power grab, <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. That's, that's when you're grabbing the mistletoe and realizing I don't care what happens in the office in the morning. Rumors are gonna spread. Um congratulations on the recent SBC awards. I um they are um um uh, they are a great bit of work that you put out, I think, uh, Pete. Um, yeah. Recently, we've had a couple of people who proclaim to review uh, services and tipsters approach us at Bucky Bashing. And they said, um, we would like to review you. Could we have a login? Um, we were like, okay, who are you? And we do a bit of research. And they come back and they say, um, we'd be more than happy to write a positive review uh, and we will send people in your direction if we get 50% of the income um, forever. And I said, I'm sorry, what? You, you, How are you going to write a positive review? You haven't had a login and looked at us yet. So no, that's not how it works. We'll write you a positive review, and you'll give us 50% of the income of anyone that comes in your direction. That's absolutely scandalous. Uh, and and I, I looked around, and then I realized almost every review site works on that affiliative basis that they send people in the direction of tipsters and they write positive reviews and they almost don't care um uh, i couldn't name another one other than a smart betting club that proclaims to be independent and um neutral um how did you even think that that was a business plan in the first place can i ask well i think back at the time we set up i'm talking about when i worked for my old business partner um, we did see um, we were kind of involved in betting. We were doing some betting, using some tipsters, and we did see a newsletter. I can't remember if it's still going um, that put forward products and services. And then I just recall reading there's a printed newsletter at the time and talking to my business partner and saying, "Well, to, to be business partner at that point, he was just a friend and saying, like, we know this product is crap. Like, why are these people promoting it?'" And then obviously we, like you say, dug into the whole side of the affiliation uh, approach and could quickly see that this kind of newsletter purporting to be promoting products that were profitable was actually promoting products that were a profitable to them primarily. And if Mm -hmm. they made a profit for the reader, it was kind of a side benefit and it was, it was, you know, uh, um, it wasn't the primary concern. So just from that point of view, and I wouldn't want to get into a business which wasn't ethical. It wasn't doing something to help people. Um, and so, therefore, it just made sense to, well, maybe we can do something different. Um, I, I think setting up SBC in that independent way was more difficult to do. You know, it's very easy to set up a site that makes affiliate revenue if you've got a talent or you've got a mailing list or you've got some social media traction. Um, but it's not a, a long-term scalable business. So you have to constantly reinvent the wheel. You have to constantly get new people in because the people that start to follow your recommendations give up because they realize after a period of time that you're no good. So it's, it's not, um, it's not a long-term viable business. So yeah. Um, it's just from the point of view of wanting to do something which is different and ethical versus wanting to do something that makes a bit of short-term cash. And, you know, you constantly need to re reevaluate what you do and, and reinvent yourself. 
Well, it's admirable that you you stuck with it because um, it's a difficult. You can see how easy it is for the affiliates to run their money. Uh, sorry, to run their business. They're like, well, I'm going to be guaranteed income no matter what. Whereas you've got to sort of produce the right kind of content that people are going to come and read and uh, engage with. And one of those was the SBC Awards, which I've been aware of for maybe you've been. I, I've been aware of them since about. 2018 when did you start doing them yeah i think it was 2014 the first one okay um, that we actually did and just started off from very humble beginnings just doing it actually at that time and for a few years just did it for the members side of it so it was just asking people that paid to be a member of smart betting club who they rated and what they what they liked um and then it's grown in recent years and did what you like public categories where people outside of the membership of the smart betting club could actually vote on categories like, you know, best video, best free tipster, best website, best podcast, mm. stuff like that. Uh, and that's where it's really gained traction because, you know, when people get nominated and we do a shortlist, they really want to win it. And then they promote it on social media or email or, or their podcast or whatever and get people to, to vote for it. And it's been really good, you know, because, again, it's highlighting what works and what doesn't. So it's been good to yeah, see. yeah see something different, you know, because joking around with people saying, well, if you want to, you know, if people wanted to win the award, they should have bought two tables versus one at the award gala. And that's joking around, but how often does that happen? You know, I saw recently um, Paddy Power won at some over gaming awards, best retail operator for the third year running, which <laughs> yeah. did make me laugh. Who's voting for this? Yeah. I mean, yeah. these these yeah. kind of award ceremonies are always mired in sort of either controversy or difficulty. One of the um, they have the Global Poker um, Awards or the Global Poker Index run the Poker Awards, and there's only a finite number of categories you can have. You know, who's made the most amount of money? Well, you can sort of work that out, but then you get down to things like best Twitter media personality and things like that. And the really sort of, um, the, it, it sort of seems to exist just for a little bit of a, um, a pat on the back and for the people that are um, voting in these things, they, they get like a, an inside industry of a hundred names to vote in this um, to sort of have a shindig, have a few glasses of wine, get together. But really it's, kind of an old boys club um if you're in the inner circle you're in the inner circle whereas yours is um not voted for by uh, a select committee but it's uh, open to votes for well there's sort of two parts of it one of them is for members only but you have to be an active member to be able to vote in that and the other one is actually anybody any member of the public can vote for that is that right that's right, yeah. So it enables us to keep like some of the best tips to ones, which obviously are those that we've reviewed and rated and report and proof and all those kind of things. And we're able to segregate them because, yeah, mm -hmm. we could go get the general public voting for best tips to book. They haven't read the material that we've produced. They don't read our Hall of Fame. They don't see all our reports and what have you. So they can't really provide an informed re review. And they're probably, there's so many tips out there. I probably get like, uh, I don't know, 50 or 100 different nominate um, suggestions. Yeah. Uh, this free tips to this social media guy <laughs> and such like, yeah. And it's an important point what you say about other awards because I think sometimes as well, they they do it to, you know, everyone wants to raise awareness of their business, but they, they put forward companies that basically, or products that will promote them the most. So to give an example, we got, First time this year we did best betting expert, and it could have been very easy to put someone like the racing blogger in there because you know he has how many thousands of followers on 
Twitter and and what have you. But you know, I don't think the guy's a betting expert. He's a bloody good promoter of racing and himself, but he's no betting expert. And so, I think sometimes you know it's easy to add people like that to nominations, even though they're probably not deserving of it because the guy will give you a retweet to however many followers they have. He has. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. trying to avoid that is important. Yeah. Yeah, although I, I have to say, um, uh, I was in the betting expert category and I think um, I was third bronze behind um, Neil Channing and Nick Goff and um, yep. Matt Trenhill was just behind me. And um, at this moment, I have complete imposter syndrome. And I, I actually mentioned to <laughs> um, Duncan and a few people around me that I can't possibly be, I'm not a I'm not a better betting expert than Matt Trenhill. The only thing I can profess to be is that I have a sort of public community that um, we started a few years ago and I may possibly be slightly better known. I don't know. I, even saying that sounds a, a little bit cheesy. Matt Trenhill's the top of the game and he's the most clever m- modeler that I'm aware of. But um, yeah, so um, it's definitely uh, slightly humbling, definitely imposter syndrome to be in there with those names um, as well. Oh, by the way, um, can I ask... Oh, sorry, go on, go on, Pete. No, no, please, go on. Um, well, uh, Will there in the future, because, I mean, we were handing these awards uh, virtually, will there be a, a hotel booked in the future and um, a, a few tables and glasses of wine flowing for, for these awards? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, if anything, I'll just do more stuff online. You know, maybe some podcast. I did some last year. I was hoping to do some video content this year. Just too much going on um, ahead of that. So, no, um, I don't think so. I don't. I think it kind of gets away with the concept of what we're trying to do. Um, then think of the cost of doing all that kind of stuff. Who's paying for it? Well, <laughs> you know, well who's, okay. Who's, that, hiring the ex, who's hiring the ex-footballers to present it? You know, the Sky that is, that is a point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the who's paying for it um, part of it. I have been in the past to um, the civil engineering awards ceremonies in various locations, and um, they are... Um, hilariously self-congratulatory um i'll put it that way but um they could be a good note so yeah uh, we had uh, a few categories it was great to be nominated in them we had betting experts well uh which um, i shouldn't have come third in but uh thank you for to, to everyone that voted for me there um and then the golf um was the week which went goes it gets independently proved through sbc um, through weekly golf value, but it's nothing that we do in weekly golf value that isn't what anyone that has access to the golf tracker can do. It's yeah. simply selecting 10 to 15% coverage of the field from that tracker that are put CV week on and week off. Um, that was second, I think, to Ben Coley um, at our horse racing tracker. It was, um, which really is, I've got to say, um, that's the, the, the that's as that's probably more Duncan and Lee's work than mine um the part of that that i was able to contribute was the bb algo but really those two banged their heads together did the mathematics for it and everything like that so for anyone that voted for the bookie bashing racing tracker they were voting really for for lee and duncan within bookie bashing and the great work that they did there so um um and that was ahead of northern monkey punter the value better quentin franks didn't pull very many um Votes considering high profile he is, and that sort of goes to suggest that you know there's a, there's some big names out there, but perhaps some of the um the smaller guys are doing well. And I think from what I'm seeing from um, what you've been saying recently, had Hanbury Racing been in this list, they may have definitely been a challenger 
um, uh, if they'd made it in there on time, but they've possibly just been uncovered a little bit too recently. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And I, I imagine they'll be featuring next year, the way they're going. Uh, Talk about Quentin. Yeah, he, he's he's a very knowledgeable guy. He's on a couple of the podcasts. Uh, but I think there's also um, an element of some recency bias. I don't think he started this year particularly well. I mean, he's got a great record long term. So sometimes there is that element of, of that recency bias about who's performed the best in the last few months. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Not, so if you, you, know, if you do well July through August, it's almost forgotten about by the time these come around in February and March. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so um, it's sometimes it is, I suppose, I'm just, you know, guessing mm-hmm. here, but uh you know, something like the racing tracker, though, you know, it's something that you know people use every day. It's not something that's particularly seasonal. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that you do find edges at different times of year, which which, which are greater than others. Um, but uh, you know, something like that just always is going to be at, at the top, I think, because so many people are using it. Well, so many people, but so many SPC members, if you like, there's good cross synergy between the two sites, I suppose, and it's great to know that you know SPC members rate it just as much as we. Our SBC depending on the reviews and using it ourselves actually rate it too. So it's good to see that you know so many people are using it because I found it exceptional. Um, it's been good for me personally, good for me to review, good for people I know to use, and uh, you know, and the, and the golf as well has been has been superb. I know you got pipped by Ben, but then you know he had a phenomenal. Come on, it's, it's Ben Coley. He's um. He's a le- he's a legend in the game. He knows exactly what he's doing, and there's no shame in that. To be second to him, actually, no. again, is imposter syndrome. It really is. So it's great. Yeah, Ben's wonderful. You know, he's he's uh, he's such a good 2021. Um, I don't know what his ROI was. It's off the charts. Yeah. He, he'll be the first to admit it's not sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at his history, you know, over five six years, he's had losing periods, a losing year, I think, at points. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you know he well well deserved that award, and you know sports on golf in particular um, continue to be a real interesting market for people to take to make a profit from. I know you cover it extensively, uh, and long let me that long let me be that be the, but long may that be the case. You know, in terms of the edge available on golf, um, four point nine three percent of the people that voted for best podcast voted for the Bashcast. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. Are the other 95% on glue or what's going on there? No, um, uh, um, <laughs> the winner there was, um, is, that, is it is it Tony Calvin that does Betfair's Betting Only Better Racing podcast? Yes. Um, I'm Tony not Calvin, familiar with Kevin him. Blake. But yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Blake. Um, they won it at 22% matchbook betting podcast, 18% racing post, postcast, 15%. Um, mm-hmm. The Bar Stewart's Inquiry, uh, I like a lot. Um, that's yes. one that I tend to tune in to quite a lot. And those guys um, were excellent. It was actually really, really, really good when they got um, uh, Jeff Banks on a couple of months ago. So I recommend if anyone wants an entertaining hour of podcasting, <laughs> um, the Bar Studios Inquiry with Jeff Banks is fantastic. And um, look, I'm, I'm joking aside, um, against those big names, you know, how many, how many, Tens of thousands of people will have tuned in to the Betfair podcast, the Matchbook, the Racing Post because of the exposure they've got. Um, we simply don't have that kind of exposure at the Bashcast. So I think I'm, I'm actually fairly. I, I, I said um, if we're not last, that would be a good result. Um, so I was quite, I was quite happy to to get four point nine three percent of the votes. That was cool. Well, the, 
the podcast world is, is hugely competitive. You know, there was quite mm. a lot of people in the other nominations. Um, and it's mm. funny because I had a few podcasts, especially people who run podcasts, DM me. I remember one particular guy DM'd me within like an hour of announcing them. I said, why aren't we on it? We are the best. And, really? Uh, I think they maybe, yeah, I think they maybe polled like 10 votes <laughs> across okay, the other yeah, nominations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Didn't really correlate. Yeah. But yeah, with podcast, I think it's one of those where I could have had 20 of 25 quite easily. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's the difficult thing with putting these um, categories together. I actually did see some people just come out of nowhere and say, why don't you include me? Why don't you include me? And it's, uh, it puts mm. you into an impossible position, right? Exactly. And I feel like sometimes to include everybody that expects to be included, I would have mm. 20, 25 nominations, which is just ridiculous. You're not going to have that as a short. Mm. So you have to whittle it down. And, you know, sometimes it is going to be some of the bigger companies or podcasts that are or outlets that are getting the exposure. But I think if you look at something like the Best Betting website, where, yeah, okay, you've got Odds Checker that won it by a smidge from a short head from ggs.co.uk. Now, ggs is. A great resource for racing fans, but it has nowhere the need in terms of the reach or the backing that Odds Checker has. So, I do find the awards are valuable in, in instances like that where it hi- highlights maybe uh, products or services through word of mouth or through organic growth and use- usefulness versus the biggest budget. So, exactly, uh, that's another exactly. angle that I quite like. Yeah, yeah, mm. uh, and it's it's that organic growth, and it only it can only come through democratic sort of. Um, uh, voting system out of interest i don't know if you know the answer to this question off the top of your head but do you have any idea how many people vote in the um public votes and how many people vote in the um in the member votes well the public vote is considerably higher um just sure. because you know the in terms of the amount of the amount of reach so i would mm-hmm. say yeah the public i can't remember what the number is it's significantly higher than the membership yeah. votes uh on this particular topic yeah because you've got yeah. people with big followings or yeah. You know, people from Betfair, or whatever, saying go and vote for me, and obviously that yeah, gets a lot more attention than I'm not, I'm me not telling lie. my smart bet club members. <laughs> my my dad did my my seventy three year old dad did go and vote in the public voting. I'm not quite sure how much he knows about it, but I think he was just happy to see that. Okay, you're you're out, Tom. You're out. I'm going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but um um, there was an element of um um I don't know. For me, I did a bash cast after the nominations, but I sort of made the decision it's a little bit cheesy i think to um to sort of um say please everybody go and vote for me because look you, you want to win it organically um uh, the, the, there's no point in um sort of um yeah, you, we could have started a campaign and tweeted and put a facebook post every 20 minutes reminding everybody to share posts to ask people to vote but what is the point in that um and so yeah no just a congratulations to you in terms of running the spc it was a question for you does it all run swimmingly or is there any um any drama that you ever come across at all pete um there was some drama this year uh there was there always is uh from like say people telling me why it's it's an absolute disgrace I should be in here. I should be winning it. And then they get five votes uh, through mm-hmm. to some other, yeah, issues with a few people behind the scenes. Uh, oh, I'm not keen to get into it because it always gets twisted and manipulated um, sometimes. But uh, yeah, I mean, the main thing is the goal of the awards is the same. And, and I feel like we're able to achieve, you know, the goal of, of trying to highlight products, services, websites, resources, outlets, podcasts, whatever it might be, that are actually pushing people's betting 
forward, whether it be education, entertainment, or information. Um, because there's the whole industry you talked about affiliation. You know, the whole industry mm-hmm. is geared up to profit from people's losses. Um, yeah. Especially obviously yeah. Making it's based on that horse racing industry is based on that. You know, the, um, there was some chat yesterday about that, and it's it's good to highlight you know whatever it might be that are actually helping people because it can't all be about a race to the bottom to try and squeeze losers for as much as possible um there's got to be an element of you know okay treating betting as as a something aspirational and something that you can improve and educate yourself with uh, and enjoy at the same time and maybe even make a little bit of cash so redress of the game and the game is the game as a wise man once said mm-hmm. um well congratulations on a on a what i think is a a, a, a fantastic bit of work and uh, it was great having been aware of it since 2018 to have finally been in the nominations in 2022 um to have picked up a gold and a silver and a bronze that's the hat trick ball and um uh, a friendly challenge out there to hanbury racing if they continue their roi form like that that we may have a struggle on our hands to keep that gold um to keep that gold trophy but um we'll give it we'll do our best over the next 12 months to um to see if we can hold on to it hopefully the um the tracker keeps on returning winners for people so yeah, thank you, Pete. Oh, I imagine it. it will. No, no problem. Thanks for having me on. And congratulations to you know yourself and all the guys at uh, Bucky Bashing on, on what you do and, and for winning the awards. It's uh, well deserved. So the golf. We were talking about. The selection process for the U.S. Masters. I actually did my selections for the U.S. Masters um, live on the Bashcast, kind of just to give an idea of how I come up with the shortlist. So who remembers, hey, when I said this? Who was the other guy I was talking about? Scotty Scheffler. How many bookmakers are you good at? I think you're going to just be good at William Hill, aren't you? Um, Well... No, actually, they're good at a couple. Interesting. I really do have options. There's so much value around for the US Masters. It's crazy. Uh, I'm going to try and cap it at 15%. So I'm at 20%. So I've got to take a 20 to 1 guy out, essentially. So my 20 to 1 guy I'm going to take out is the favourite, Scotty Scheffler. I think that'll be my um, that'll be my set. So, yeah, uh, Scotty Scheffler won the US Masters by three shots. 10 under uh, ahead of Rory McIlroy, walked away with it, was like 1.01 after the second hole. And yeah, uh, swings and roundabouts, as it always is um, with golf betting. I hope some people got on him. Look, there's going to be some weeks where I pick the favourite and if you're using the golf tracker, you don't pick the favourite. And there's going to be other weeks where I literally pick the favourite and then take him out for my shortlist and he goes and wins it by three shots uh, at 22 to 1. And you don't have him, um, or I don't have him, or somebody doesn't have him. It doesn't matter. It's a, a long-term game. That's the whole point of this. It's um, all about just determining equity EV, a snapshot, and just taking that, even though there's other EV around, because we can't really cover it all. We could, but it would be mad variance if we did. Um, and also, we don't really want to pick one 500-to-1 player every week. I mean, again, that's plus EV. And if you're picking him at 100 200% EV, then it's actually the maximum EV you can have. The problem is you're going to die before you realize the potential 
of that strategy. The logistics of life expectancy come into play. So, uh, yeah, I'm not too miffed um, that I missed him because, look, I mean, I'm yeah, running hot on playoffs. Um, it's not exactly like the golf is going badly. It has been a number of tournaments since a winner now. Uh, I think it's it was Sam Burns who was the last winner, which may have been nine tournaments ago. And since Sam Burns won the Valspar Championship, we've had the Corrales Pantacana, Commercial Bank Qatar, Dell Match Play Valero, Texas, US Masters, RBC Heritage, the Zurich Classic, the Ispas Handa, the Catalunya, and the Mexico Open. I was trying to actually count my fingers, and then the cap brushed against me, and I've lost case count of where we were. But um, so that's... Oh, actually, I did do it here because I did a Monte Carlo analysis. It was, it was actually nine tournaments, not 11, so there you go. So we've got nine tournaments without a win, pretty much break, break even. Um, I'd heard some murmurings. There's some... Um, Folks saying that it had been brutal. Now, I don't know what they're betting on. They may be betting on the options that I pick. They may be betting on their own from the tracker, which is always what I would advise, preferably. Um, brutal. I'm, I'm always sorry to hear that it's been brutal. Um, I think the guy literally was talking about doing outright St. Sam Burns. So I am, on average, covering 12.5% of the field. And we've had nine tournaments since Sam Burns won. So you're running a Monte Carlo analysis on that in terms of how brutal that is not having a winner in those nine tournaments um we would expect to have um four winners 1.5 percent of the time three winners 7.2 percent of the time two winners 22 percent of the time one winner 40 percent of the time and zero winners 29 percent of the time so it's about well 29.85 so it's about 30 percent three in ten times we would have expected to have zero winners so um you know, we're running about 30% unlucky. 70% of the time we would be doing better than this. Whether that qualifies as brutal or not, I'm not sure. Looking at um, the results, I actually split the results up and and put May into the results. Where are they? Where are the results? They're there. Sorry for clicking around the place. Need to get a quieter mouse for when I'm clicking. And the results um, for 2022 are at plus 45.74%. Um, that's um, six winners from 30 tournaments. Fairly good. We did a little bit better in 2019. Everybody drink. 11 um, winners from 49 tournaments was 58% in that year. But um, for May, there were zero winners. That was the brutal run. But we did get a 500 to 1 um, each way. In Andrew Wilson, um, who finished seventh on his own for seventh places. And those things are beautiful because um, he was really big EV. Somebody saw that he was going to perform well in this tournament. The, the, the money came in for him. He rose up in EV on the tracker. Um, he was so high on EV, we bet pretty much maximum on him. You don't have to bet very much when you're betting at 500 to 1. I think I, on a £1,000 bankroll, I recommended £3 stake on him at... Um, and at 500 to 1, he did place. That's £1,500 for the win, a fifth of that for the place of £300. And that was enough to put both tournaments in profit. I think I got two other places that week as well. 
so the places are just really ticking things over. Um, and in May overall, which was considered to be a brutal month, the PGA for each way betting was at minus 27%. But the DP World Tour, which was fewer bets, there was only 10 bets compared to 50 in the PGA, was plus 266.7%. I think because of Andrew Wilson, to be fair, because there's one guy. And that meant a total of plus 6.58%. So I, I know the 6.58% is lower than the, the long-term average of 36% ROI on golf. It's still in the positive. I know it's been uh, um, nine or so tournaments since a winner. But um, uh, it hasn't been too unfortunate to do that. Just The idea just being stick at the um, EV, look at uh, and consider it to be a long-term game, you know, we, Covering 15% of the field at an average of 110% EV, we should be having a a chance of a losing run once every five years. Someone's had a losing run two years in a row. I would consider that to be exceptionally lucky. My maths are looking somewhere in the region of um, 1% or less expectancy for that. But I don't know how much of the field they're covering. Because, of course, if they take a 500... To, you could say to me, I'm t- I bet on a fi- one 500 to one golfer on every tournament... And I haven't had a single place in two years. And all I would say is, yeah, I'm I, I'm not surprised. Now, if you tell me you're covering 50% of the tournament and you haven't had a single place in once every two years, I'd probably call you mistaken. Something's gone wrong with your calculation somewhere because that just is almost statistically impossible. And then if you're betting um, 10 to 15% of the field and are down after two years, it would be extremely unlucky but i don't know you know when people comment on um you know the, the the length of their losing run the context that needs to be taken in with is how much of each field have you covered in those events i mean you say you haven't you've been you've had a losing run for two years were you on every event and how much of every event were you on now when it comes to auditable and verifiable records everything that i do is publicly available both before and after the event. And all records for all events are available for everyone to download and interrogate. Uh, And not only are they available at BB, similar but different selections go over to SBC for um, essentially for proofing independently. Now, we don't put the same people up at SBC, uh, at weekly golf values we do at Bucky Bashing. Various reasons why we don't do that. Sometimes they're similar, but they are different overall. But it's actually quite nice to see two different records of how we're performing. We're, and with different golfers, we're performing at 50% ROI over at weekly golf values, slightly less at Bucky Bashing, 45% ROI. It was a different story last year. We had a winner at the end of last year that we didn't have at WGV and Bucky Bashing. It doesn't matter is what I'm saying. It's like it's the same track. It's the same selection process. And so those are sort of comparable ROIs. The, ver- the auditable, verifiable one at BB is 45%. The weekly golf value is 50%. And so... Um, uh, um, that's how we think that the track has been performing. So, um, of course, it's always unfortunate when you read that some people have been losing. It is the nature of a gambling forum that people are much more likely to post when they're losing than when they're winning. People win and mostly stay silent. Also, just a word of advice. If you come on and say, I've had an absolutely brutal month, 
That's great, but I'd love to also hear it when you have a non-brutal month, if you have a good month. I think there's an element just coming on and saying when you're losing is a little bit, it can be disheartening for those around you who are betting and looking for advice, but also for us running the thing, because if all we ever see is people saying that they're losing, it doesn't make us sort of, you know, do we need to change anything? And, you know, our results suggest that we don't, but we certainly want everyone to be enjoying the fruits of the labor. Um, Steve Palmer is a uh, long-term 20-year golf tipster and punter, one of the most well-known tipsters in the country, apparently, according to this blog. Um, His columns featuring golf betting tips have been must-read material for years. So this is the guy that has been employed by the Racing Post. Now, the Racing Post has always been mired in difficulty. The difficulty the Racing Post has is it is funded by the bookmakers. Have you ever seen bookie bashing in the Racing Post? No. Now, bookie bashing is becoming a bit of a name. I heard that somebody went into a a betting shop the other day and the people behind the counter were talking about bookie bashing and saying that they should sign up because these guys are making money out of um, of betting shops. Now... Would bookie bashing ever be mentioned by the Racing Post? No, we wouldn't. We absolutely would never be mentioned by the Racing Post because we are not what is seen as fair fair game. We are the uh, vultures who are using our naughty mathematical models to extract money out of the industry. And by mathematical models, I'm not talking about uh, hedging against the exchange, which is what the industry thinks most advantage play is, arbitrage plays. That's why you get betting shop managers who shout over, are you an arbitrage player? No, we're using models where we're pricing stuff up ourselves, our own probability distributions to get a leg over on the bookmakers. And um, we're doing very well. And the bookmakers have heard of us before. I mean, it's not the first time I've heard this. I heard that somebody went into a betting shop and the guy next to him was filling out a coupons tracker with the bookie, a coupon with a bookie bashing coupons tracker open on his phone. So would the Racing Post ever um, ever feature bookie bashing? No. If the Racing Post featured bookie bashing, um, the bookmakers would threaten them with removing advertising and funding. And it's almost entirely funded by the bookmakers and they wouldn't be able to um, risk that kind of um, um, withdrawal, that kind of um, monetary drop from the advertising from your Betfreds, William Hills, Corals, everybody that keeps the Racing Post going. So the Racing Post has this difficult position to be in where they want to promote gambling as a winning um, an activity that you could have skill and win at without actually telling you how to have the skill and win. You see, our horse racing tracker will take on and probably outperform any of the tips that you will see in Racing Post. If you look at the racing post, they're going to talk about Shishkin, the soft ground, the hard ground, the, ter- the, the way he turns left, blinkers on, um, the f- and they push form like it's anything. And the problem with that is anybody doing any serious market making already knows that information and a heap more. So you being drip fed that small amount of information is not going to help you beat the market. But the suggestion by giving it to you is that it could. Um, golf is very much the same. Steve Palmer can
can give you the tips, but he doesn't actually want you to win. Racing Post doesn't want you to win because if you remove money from the bookmakers, then they're good. especially something like golf where they're only getting a few bets a week on each tournament, then they're not going to be too happy. So there's this difficult middle ground Steve Palmer has with putting his tips up in the Racing Post. Uh, Anthony Kaminskis, AK Bets, highlighted an interview that Steve Palmer did with the Racing Post that I thought was uh, very interesting. Have a listen to it here. Six-pronged attack, that's interesting. Yes. Well, the reason you're wearing your Polish shirt is that you believe that Adrian Moronk, your moment has come. Yeah, absolutely. 20 to 1 with Ball Sports, getting eight places, the best each way terms. 22 to 1 available elsewhere. The, the pride of Poland is ready to deliver <laughs> the victory a nation has been waiting for. There's been a real um, real sense of anticipation in my neighbourhood this week. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen my Polish friends who live up the road there. They, they've they got a real spring in their step. Have you I ascertained yet whether they've heard of Adrian Brown? <laughs> I haven't. I will when he wins on Sunday. Can Sandy. you, please? Can you find to be honest, out? I don't think they've heard of Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't think I they're, really sports, they're, they're, they're sports fans. No, no, I, okay. I get the impression they're sports fans. But I will, if he wins, you know, I'm going to be bowling around in this all week. So they might spot me and, and you know, maybe they'll just spot the crest. Um, we can have a chat about it. But um, yeah, John Owen from Formby, I must mention, he gave me this a few months ago because he, he knows that Adrian Mont's one of my favourites. He sent me this po- Polish shirt in anticipation of, of a Moronk victory. I think... Puma make the best football kits, and that's a beauty. I love the way they've branded that. So you've got the Puma on both shoulders as well. It's a beauty, that, isn't it? It's just so nice and basic. It's just a classic. You've got the red shorts on as well. <laughs> no, he hasn't sent me the shorts. Maybe John could send me the... I can have a full kit, be a full kit W. <laughs> so why do you fancy him, then? Well, I was just so impressed by the way he bounced back last week. He took a month off after the Qatar Masters. He finished third in the Qatar Masters, took a month off, was entitled to be a bit rusty last week, and he made a slow start, a pair of 71s. But then he charged up at the weekend, ended up only two shots shy of the playoff. So that's... Four top six finishes in his last seven events. He was third last week. Four top sixes in, in his last seven events. He's won on the Challenge Tour, and he just couldn't be knocking louder on the on the DP World Tour winners' enclosure. And he must be looking forward to the Belfry because he made his first start at the Belfry last year, took a couple of rounds to settle in, then 65-69 over the weekend, one shot shy of the playoff. So, yeah, loves the course, swinging like God. I fancy the six-foot, six-inch pole. Oh, wow. We'll be looking down on the rest of the field. on on, Big pole, isn't it? The only thing (laughs) about him, is he a pole that goes a little bit flaccid towards the end of a round? I mean, there is still a question mark about his his, um, constitution in a battle, isn't there? It's not easy getting the first win, is it? It's not easy getting the first win. Yeah, we all go a little bit flaccid when we're we're chasing our, our maiden title. Um, and I, I, I just think he's got so much talent and this field as you mentioned is not great I think this is the, the perfect opportunity for him um, so yeah I'm, I'm really excited about uh, Adrian okay so it's interesting how perhaps one of the most um, respected tipsters attacks the angle of covering uh, why he is um, betting on Adrian Moronk, remember, this is a Racing Post columnist, golf tipster, and punter, one of the most well-known tipsters in the country. So he seems to be very heavy on Adrian Moronk, who was one of the favourites to go off in the British Masters. The British Masters is now a few hours old. Um, 
and he put him up at 22 to 1. Now, on our tracker, and by no means is this indicative of um, anything that um, Steve Palmer could have used for his selection process, we never made Adrian Moronk plus EV at any bookmaker at 22 to 1, at 25 to 1, at 20 to 1, or whatever he was. Now, fine. We have our way of coming up with value bets. Um, generally, we find that the guys in the middle of the field and further at the back of the field are more attractive than the guys at the front of the field, as a rule of thumb. In this tournament, um, you know, the t- our top 13 golfers were all over 100 to 1. You had to get to Matty Schmidt. Uh, who was number 14 on our list, and even he was 80 to 1. Only a handful of golfers under 40 to 1. Dean Burmester was 106.7. I actually pumped for him. Jordan Smith, 28 to 1, is just so marginal, 101.6. And Sam Horsfield, 28 to 1, 100.58. They're pretty much neutral EV, those guys. And as we get down to Adrian Moronk, we didn't make him good. Now, we can make him not good, and Steve Palmer can make him good, and that's fine. That's not a problem. The issue there is that it becomes such a fine line and fine argument, and the EV changes so much, completely based on the price and the um, places that you're taking. Um, somebody is 140%. The top guy, Ben Schmidt, old Schmitty, is 140, 137% EV at Ladbrokes. Ladbrokes are eight places, one to five odds. The next EV he is, is 120.1%. And that's because the next one was seven places, uh, one to five. So it's almost like we've got someone's plus 40 and then plus 20. So just by removing a single place, we almost half the amount of value on this guy. And it's often the case that um, when the places change, the EV just shifts hugely from almost plus EV to negative EV in a lot of cases. And so there has to be a discussion of the bookmaker that you're taking and the places and the prices. Uh, we, uh, there has to be a discussion of, I, I'll take Adrian Morong at 22 to 1, but only when we can get eight places or 10 places, or seven places, or five places, one to four. Or, you know what I mean? Actually, then there's an extra additional conversation that has to come in with what are you taking, one to four places and one to five places. If you're taking one to four places, you need a minimum of six. If you're taking one to five, you need a minimum of seven. Something like that. And without having that conversation, you're you're left simply with him just tipping up one price. And that's exactly what he's done um, with the Wells Fargo selections, and he says Adrian Moronk, 22 to 1 general. I can't take general. General has to mean surely the lowest number of places available. Does he mean just the highest number of places available? In that case, he's talking about just the one bookmaker. And which bookmaker is it? Is it six places, one to four, or seven places, one to five? Which is better out of those two? Um, so mathematically, this doesn't stand up, this analysis in the Racing Post. Um, he's gone for Corey Connors at 20 to 1 at William Hill. Uh, again, I make that negative EV, but more importantly, I actually make him plus EV at Bet365, where he's 22 to 1. Now, that's higher than the 20 to 1 at Hills, 
And he also does bet Bet365 with Brandon Wu. So it's not like he's ignoring Bet365. So why has he gone 20 to 1 at Hills and not 20 to 2 to 1 at um, Bet365? You might ask. And I do ask. Well, let's have a look at the different terms that those two bookmakers. Um, Bet365 is five places, one to four. Hills is eight places, one to five. That means that Alma Man is suggesting that the the um, the William Hill price is better at 20 to 1 than the Bet365 at 22 to 1. Well, not under our mathematics. So he has obviously then a completely different mathematical calculation for who's finishing the places. You hope. Maybe he's not even looking at the places. What about Brandon Wu? He puts up at... 80 to 1 at bet 365. Well, we make that 87% EV at 80 to 1. We do make him 100 to 1, uh, 110% EV at the bookmakers that are 100 to 1. So why isn't he mentioning the bookmakers that are 100 to 1? Is it because... No, I can't give you an answer. <laughs> why isn't he betting? Why isn't... Um, uh... Um, of Steve Palmer mentioning the bookmakers that are 100 to 1 can't give you an answer to that and then Keegan Bradley he recommends at Coral Hills and Ladbrook so we do have three different bookmakers they're all 8 places 1 to 5 and they're all 33 to 1 and so that's why he's able to lump all of them in together now I want to go and have a look and see if I can find Keegan Bradley in our numbers alright if you want a second, I just need to search for old Kigi. There's a lot of golfers here to search through. Control Kigi. If I can't find him, that means that... Oh, there he is. So, yeah, he's actually plus EV. Um, oh, well, he's now plus EV at William Hill, but he's 35 to 1. And he's only just plus EV, 102.343. So that means he's increased in price. And isn't that interesting? Steve Palmer tips him, and he's actually been increased in price. And he's now marginally plus EV at William Hill, Coral, and Ladbrokes at 102% um, um, EV. But that's taking 35 to 1. Had you taken 33 to 1, that would have been negative EV. So um, when you're looking at anyone that is tipping up these i want to see i'm sure he's very clever i'm sure he understands that tpc potomac takes over from quail hollow for one year uh, and this and that it's no pushover you want dense tree, set, of, set of trees and all of that and you know that information does help me with putting together the metrics graph and stuff like that the weather forecast as pre-tournament showers and the type of golfer suited to this um need to be accurate and unflashy and there's lots of um you know these golf write-ups can actually take on quite a lot of um pros quite a lot of um bells and whistles because you have to flesh them out but what i do not see anywhere across this is any analysis between the difference between a bookmaker that pays six places and a bookmaker that pays seven places and a bookmaker that pays one to four odds and a bookmaker that t uh, pays one to five odds and without that then I don't understand how he's doing anything but tipping um, top price at a single bookmaker, which is an awful way to tip. And I'm not a tipster. We create models that get benchmarked and tracked. And this is the issue that I have with Steve Palmer. Is that, and if one of those guys gets cut, which is possible, 
if a lot of money comes in because he puts them out in the racing post, then what are people going to do? Take the second price? I mean, is that going to be negative EV? Why haven't you put it up in the selections? I appreciate that it's difficult for him to do, but that doesn't mean we should shy away from the difficulty. So when looking out for anything to complement um, the your golf betting, it's really good to have an, a look at the specific course, the, the metrics that relate to each course. Uh, the rate, the weather is a real important um, factor. If uh, a sudden thunderstorm and uh, windy conditions are going to come in for the morning group, uh, and it looks like the afternoon group are going to get sunny conditions this afternoon and sunny conditions when they tee off in the morning, that does change things, and it is information that we can bring in. But... This is really each way betting. If you're hitting outright on the exchange, it's another story. But with each way betting, the the first question to be asked is what number of places are going to be offered? What are the terms of the those odds? And how does the distribution, does the equity, does the value shift as that information changes as well? A fun but probably way too repeated story I always like to tell is when Chelsea played Manchester United back in 2014 on the 19th of January 2014, over eight years ago now, wow. And um, but Fred did their double delight hat-trick heaven in shop and we had the team in place and um, he would also push out a striker to top price. So everyone was 5-1, to 6-1 on Eto. Fred goes 8-1 to one, or 7-1, to one, sorry, 8.0, which is like, two, you know... 2.0 higher than anybody else and just because he was top price on him and he was starting up front for Chelsea we went to the shops got a few hundred on him he got the first goal he got the second goal and in the thir- early in the second half he gets his hat trick and so paid it 8 to 1 16 to 1 24 to 1 on a striker for Chelsea at home against Manchester United it felt bonkers ever since then um We've really hit Double Delight Hattrick Heaven very hard. It's just a lot of fun to do. There's a lot of things that come into it. You can um, use the exchange to try and benchmark value. A lot of people do, and a lot of people, I've seen people that they just say, oh, I use a rule where if it's 1.0 gap. Well, I mean, that's fine. It's very simplistic. And there's a lot going on in the exchange um, with bias, with inefficiency, with gappiness, with illiquid markets. Uh, if you want to get on someone earlier in the day, it's not really going to help you. And also 1.0, what is that about? I mean, if someone's a really short-priced favourite, um, you know, sometimes you can get a, a Ronaldo starting up front for Portugal and he could be 7-4. to four. Are you going to suggest that 3.75 layers plus EV or negative EV? Are you going to use the same... Rule for someone that's up at 25 to 1. It's just nonsense, really. The 1.0 is kind of lazy mathematics. Um, so we have been betting on it over time. After Fred stopped pushing out a player to be top price in the market, it's, it, it wasn't as easy fruit, as easy pickings. I mean, that was just blindly betting on those players. You know what I mean? But still, I mean, you could use your knowledge of the team... You could, I mean, I'm in a team with a guy who really knows um, 
you know, when when, when lineups are announced, what that influences and how that influences the markets in terms of the expected goals of the players. Very, very difficult to computationally model because that's a lot of subjective reasoning and football knowledge that he has there. But it's kind of painting an incomplete picture. It's like what you do in a poker hand where um, there's no optimal decision. It's like 70% of the time you should call, 20% of the time you should um, re-raise, and 10% of the time you should fold. It's bringing all of that into decision-making. Uh, to you've got imperfect information with which you want to make a perfect decision. Um, so there are information in the exchanges um, for a long time. Information of top price bookmakers helps us as well. Um, so, you know, if um, there's no exchange market to go off, then we can go down and look at um, top price at bookmakers. But we really wanted to automate this. And a, a lot that we could do in automation had to strip away the things to do with, you know, being aware that if Lacazette doesn't start up front with Aubameyang, then the XG um, changes so significantly. Let's just strip away all of that. Perhaps we come back to that in the future. In fact, that is the goal. But I think uh, the goal being with the model that we've created, the player XG model that we've created, we push that to the user. So they define their own starting lineups and formations. And maybe by twisting around the formations, the XG slightly slightly changes if you think there's the lineup is one up front things like that you know it'll be an interesting exercise to do because of course we can't then track ROI only you can track your own ROI because if you're changing around formations which has an effect on xg of players then that's your business we can only supply what we think is the best information from our side of the tracks and we've done that with xg the player xg model and now for a long time, it was in the first test mode where we were only looking at the Premiership and then a few other leagues. Now we've pushed it to the Champions League, the Europa League. Okay, the Champions League got one game left. Sorry it took so long to get here, but we've just been getting it right. The Europa League um, tonight, um, uh, again, the semi-finals, Rangers and West Ham are in there. And we're sort of coming to the end of the football season in May, but we've got the UEFA Nations Cup coming up in June. And um, um, we'll just have to see what what pickings that we can find before an early start to the season in August. So um, it's this uh, player XG model where we determine um, the XG from a inverse relationship to what an estimate of the fair odds and that those fair odds could come from top price at the bookmaker with appropriate margin applied, or it could come from the exchange as long as the exchange isn't wildly trading different to the top price at the bookmaker because that wildly trading probably has some factor of the player not starting built into it. And we don't want to be messing around with with that, when, especially when we're extrapolating the XG up to first goal scorer and there's much less bearing uh, and risk with first goal scorer um, of a player not starting because generally the first goal is scored before the substitutes come onto the pitch. So we built the model and then we linked it up to Double Delight, uh, Hattrick Heaven odds, the back odds at Betfred. And then it was time, I'd been putting it off, but we got to sort of break down the um, DDHH formula by first principles because we need to know the neutral odds. We need to know the lowest odds that Fred could offer before it's plus EV based on what we know from player XG and match XG. And if we have player XG and match XG, we know the following. We know the chances of scoring one, the chances of scoring first, because that's player XG divided by match XG. The chances of scoring two, 
based on a Poisson distribution from one and the chances of scoring three. Based on a Poisson distribution from scoring one, which may be a little bit pessimistic. Pessimistic is better than optimistic because at least we're not flagging false positives. But from what I've seen, uh, three tends to trade a little lower than a direct Poisson relationship from the mean. Two reasons from that. One, because of the, there may be um, something like, uh, in, in terms of dominance going on in the match where once a player's got two, he's more likely to get three than if he had only got one. And also there may be something going on in the exchanges where um, shops are taking um, advantage of recreational punters in the hat-trick market. And that means that actually there, there is a there is a direct Poisson relationship, which is the relationship that incidentally the bookmakers use to, to benchmark up to two and to three. Um, but they could, if there is something in play like dominance, they could just be using that for their own edge. Anyway, we know AGS, FGS, 2 plus and 3 plus. Given that we know that, the to work out the odds of the neutral odds of DDHH, um, the neutral odds of DDHH, which we have designed, assigned as X, equals 1 plus brackets, 1 minus the probability of the first goal scorer divided by all of the following. The probability of the first goal scorer multiplied by the probability that he doesn't get 2 but does get 1 plus the probability of the first goal scorer times 2 multiplied by the probability that he gets 2 given that he's already got 1 and the probability that he doesn't score 3 given that he got 2. And to that we add the probability of FGS times 3 times the probability that he gets two given he got one, times the probability that he gets three given that he got two. So you throw all of that together, you get the neutral odds for DDHH. And now we have Betfred's first goal scorer odds, the neutral odds of DDHH, and we just divide one by the other to get the EV. Um, we only push these to the tracker. The bot picks these up. The bot, bot does the calculation. The bot pushes them to the tracker one hour before team news because before that one hour, there is risk that at the moment we cannot control of the price being influenced of the risk of the player not starting. What I genuinely want is I want an API with all of the players coming through it and then we're just going to push players that start to the tracker. Um, people have been flagging these, rightfully so. You don't want to go and bet. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You're just going to be betting on a bet that's probably void. Worst thing that happens is you bet on someone and he comes on the 90th minute and it's nil-nil and you kind of have to eat that. It's happened a handful of times in my history, not enough times for me to be bothered about the overall profit loss that I've had from, well, there is no loss, the overall profit that I've had from DDHH over the long run. So we started really pushing these from the automated bot. Um... On the 2nd of February or something like that? Mid-February. When was it? I actually have the date here. I'm just being lazy. 13th of February. We've pushed 195 bets, of which 20 were voided because the, he was, the guy was benched and there wasn't a goal. Um, so 175 legitimate bets have gone to the tracker. I'm quite surprised to find... Um, I mean, the average odds are 37, which is interesting. Obviously, the lower the odds of the player, the more likely he'll be to get a second. Defenders generally don't get two goals in a game, but that doesn't mean that they're not plus EV. What, generally, what we're looking at there is we're pricing up first goal scorer lower than the first goal scorer at Fred, and there's no influence from the, the benefit of it being DD or HH, although at those odds, it makes the game quite exciting. Um, so the average odds are 36 to 1. 
Uh, and we've had um, 14 winners out of 140-odd bets. There you go. That, that, you're getting about one winner in 10 if you're betting all of them. And the odds range have been quite nuts, right? This is the range of odds. Uh, 9 to 2, believe it or not, 66 to 1. 9 to 4, 14 to 1, 12 to 1, 4 to 1, 10 to 1, 9 to 1, 4 to 1, 11 to 4, 66 to 1. 9 to 2, and that was a hat-trick heaven. 8 to 1, 66 to 1, and 5 to 2. So we've had only 1, 2, 3, uh, 4, 5, 6, 7 single figures of 190-odd bets um, actually get the first goal scorer. That's running well under EV. It really is. Um, expectancy, just those seven. The the big news there, well, we've got a few in just double figures, 12 to 1, 14 to 1, 10 to 1, 9 to 1. Um, but, and, the, you know, we've only had two DDs, which is the 9 to 4 and 11 to 4, and one HH, which was Benzema at 9 to 2. The interesting one for me is the three 66 to 1s that have come in. That was Ben Davis on the 22nd of February. 67 back odds, um, 63.5 fair odds. So what's happened there is his to score, his AGS has steamed in. And because of that, and we know the um, we know the XG of the match, we're making him pretty much 63.5 fair odds to score first. Probably about, I mean, that's DDHH neutral odds. So he's probably about 64 to score first. But it's gonna get, again, uh, Christian Romero, um, who was against Spurs against... Spurs against Tottenham. It was the right back. You know, Tottenham have got a lineup here. They've got Kane, they've got Son, they've got Kulusevski, Regilon gets goals, Doherty gets goals, Hodgeberg gets goals, Betanka gets goals, even Eric Dyer at the back gets goals. Christian Romero, the right back. In fact, Ben Davis was the left back when he scored, so it is as Spurs have provided two of the 66 to 1s. The one match I was watching, and I, I got a little bit of data for, was Arsenal 3, Manchester United 1 on Saturday the 23rd of April because uh, it was a lunchtime game. So I'm watching the lunchtime games. I tend not to, to see too many of the weekday evening ones. And um, uh, that was an interesting one. Or was it Ben? Yeah, it was Ben, ben Davis. It, it was an interesting one because um, Nuno Tavares, who was the left back in this game, really steamed in quite far. It was the distance that he steamed in. Now he steams in for AGS. To an amount where um, Double Delight Hatrick Heaven was like 110%. But, I mean, he's like 60.2 to score first, uh, 1,000 to 1 to score two, 96,000 to 1 to score three. Now, that's a Poisson relationship on an XG of 0.04. I would suggest... That's way too pessimistic, 96,000 to 1. Um, if he's steaming in as a goal scorer in the match, someone probably knows something about the way that they're, they're taking the formations of corners or the dominance of Arsenal and set pieces in that game. He's going to be up front. He's not going to... If you run the match 96,000 times, he's going to score more three, uh, three goals more than once. Um so we're sitting on a pessimistic model. As I say, all models should be pessimistic, especially ones that I'm releasing for members to use because I don't want to be releasing a, mem uh, a model that's optimistic. That's when people lose money. I'd rather you weren't making as much money, but you are making money, than risking people losing money. And that's where the pessimism of the model comes in. He probably wasn't 96,000 to one, but that's what our model currently makes him. And I will change this when I've got enough data and I've done enough modeling. 
And the, the next part, of, there's a few bits that I need to improve the player XG model, including bringing an API with the starting 11, allowing some sort of visual UX where people can set their own starting 11 before an hour before kickoff and then mess around with formations and that will mess around with XG. That's one thing. Also, I'm very, very happy with the relationship between XG and AGS, XG and FGS, XG and 2+, but I think XG and 3+, is slightly pessimistic. That's all I'm saying there. So if you are trading on the exchange um, with the 3+, and trying to maybe find an edge there, which I'm sure sharp punters are, bear that in mind, um, that those numbers might be marginally too high. Anyway, um, believe it or not, Nuno Taveras, get this, get this, listen to this. The forward, Nketia, has one shot in the game. Odegaard, the forward, has two shots in the game. Granit Xhaka, who gets enough uh, opportunity for Arsenal, has one shot in the game. The left-back, Nuno Tavares, has three shots in the game. He has more than Nketia. He has more than Martinelli, who albeit came on in the second half. One of those shots was on target. It was in the third minute. It happened to be a goal... And uh, he scores the first goal in that game. He actually had two more shots in that game. And he had 90 minutes to do it. And his FGS would have been increased from 66 to 1 to 132 to 1. Now, at this point, I don't know how much you've got on him. But we've got to be a little bit careful about max payout. I always thought max payout on this was £6,000. I mean, I think you get anything for FGS because that's a bet. The max payout what you get additionally for the double delight of the hat-trick heaven. And I always worked off that theory and benchmarked any shop visits that let's not stake more than to win £6,000 in a single shop. And if we want to go big, we'll have to hit multiple shops and that. Uh, but I've looked at the terms and conditions recently, but I, and I can't see it. All I can tell you is that we are paid multiple thousands of pounds when they come in in shop. I don't know if he's removed it and there's no upper limit now. I'd love to know if there was because that will stop me having to get on in multiple shops. It's very, 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 very easy to bet at 66 to 1 because anyone will take £10, £20, £30, £50. You know, It's slightly harder to stake at 5 to 2 because shops are wary of cash transactions over the counter. It's the, it's the quantity of cash, not the liability, that gives them the heebie-jeebies. So, you, you know, you tend to, five to two, have to get on at multiple shops. If you want to get high enough liability, there isn't a problem at 66 to one. But yeah, three 66 to one winners. Now, I've never really hit um, the 66 to one defenders historically when we've been doing this by eye manually because um, my focus has been my focus has been on the guys who have a chance really of getting double delight and hatrick heaven. Well, I'll tell you this: Navaris had every chance. Tavares, sorry, Nuno Tavares had every chance of getting two or three in that game, and actually, uh, pretty much as many sixty-six to one guys have won as guys under five to one have won. <laughs> it's kind of like ridiculous, isn't it? You know what I mean? So um, um, I'm pretty stoked that we're now pushing it out to all extra leagues because, a lot, you know, the, a lot of the European Europa Conference leagues, the leagues where there is a little bit less liquidity, the Division 1, Division 2 playoffs, stuff like that, that's really where we see a lot more edges than a Sunday Chelsea versus Manchester United game. Albeit we did... Um, 
um, we, we have attacked that before. But uh, oh, it, these are the games where there's not much trading going on in the exchange and there's no first goal scorer market on the exchange where we're really going to be able to attack it. So I'm actually quite excited for the off-season for that reason. I don't know what random games are going to be. You know, we've got the UEFA Nation League. Oh, fair enough. We'll probably have double that hashtag having that. What else are we going to have? Don't know. Should be very interesting and should definitely be interesting if we drag out the value where there's no exchange market because that's when we have the playground to ourselves. So that's a little update on Double Delight, Hattrick Heaven, and the Player XG model at bookiebashing.net. <laughs> So a lot of people have been wondering recently why you're a prick and first and foremost you are a prick because you flipped a coin and took Scotty Scheffler out of your options list for the US Masters. You know when you're stood at the queue in the Continental Hotel for the English fry-up at the breakfast buffet and you ignore all of the figs and dates and strawberries and bananas and yogurts and also the danishes, the eggs, the continental delicacies, the pastries... You, sir, are a prick with your bald head and your sleeveless shirt. And your wife, she's a prick because she called the waiter over to pick up the bottle of wine on the table that was right in front of her and asked the waiter to pour it into her own glass. Why couldn't you do it yourself? Could it be because you're a baby booner who has never had to work hard, try hard, think hard, and your whole net worth comes from the sheer luck of the draw of being born in an era of unbelievable and unsustainable real estate growth. Show some humility. You're a prick because you invaded a country to clear them of Nazis just because you were an insane megalomaniac and you once took your top off to ride a horse. You're a prick because I wrote a 1,500-word blog breaking down a gambling edge into mathematical first principles and giving it away for free and your one bit of feedback was the single spelling error that I made. You're a prick because you seek to blame your losing run on anyone and anything else. Not variance, not personal bet selection, not staking errors, just anyone as long as they're not you. You're a prick if you sit around all day worrying about inflation, worrying about restrictions, about recessions, about not being present for those around you, being a beacon of light. And if you predict that the future is not aligned to your goals and objectives, then quit worrying and start doing something about it. You're a prick because you can't be bothered to learn a simple merhaba to engage with anybody in Turkey. You're a prick because you're too proud to get animated about good art, good music, good poetry. You refuse to expose yourself to those risks. Too much, too late. Maybe we should all be praying for time. You're a prick because your entire reason for existing is to run a shop full of somic the fucking hedgehogs and to be two-faced and as coercive as possible to, in an attempt to rip off anyone with the misfortune of walking past your stupid bazaar. And you're a prick because I have to and I hate are in your lexicon. Unless you're banged up in one of Her Majesty's prisons, you don't have to do anything. You get to. I get to train hard. I get to work. I get to eat a lot. I get to fast and stop 
hating. Nobody cares that you hate a food, that you hate a movie, that you hate a song. Others love it, and that prevails all. And charity is a coat that you wear twice a year. This is the year of the guilty man. Your television takes a stand and you find out that what was over there is over here and so you scream from behind the door. You say, what is mine is mine and not yours. I may have too much, but I'll take my chances because God stopped keeping score. And you cling to the things that they sold you. And did you cover your eyes when they told you that he cannot come back because he's got no children to come back for? It's hard to love. There's so much hate hanging on to hope when there is no hope to speak of. And the wounded skies above say it's much, much too late. So maybe we should all be praying for time.